0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. First of all, we're going to stand together and just read Acts chapter 22. So if you could stand with me, I'm just going to read a section of this because um, I want to be able to just read one of the highlighted sections, 23 verses 1 through 10, but today we're covering 2230 all the way to 2335, but I'm only going to read 10 verses. The reason why we're going to stand as we read is out of respect to God's word, remembering this is his word. And Looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good consciousness up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that this was the high priest For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisee acknowledges them all. Then great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if the spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away among them to be forced them to bring him back into the barracks. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A couple of interesting uh, things to think about as you're walking through this is there's kind of two camps, and I'm going to break them into these camps For the sake of conversation today. But there are those who kind of camp in the camp of logic, and those in the world who kind of camp in the camp of feeling. And here's what I mean by that the the camp of logic loves to kind of just think their way through life, and they love to kind of believe that the savior of the world is better education. So, if you get more knowledge, you'll be able to kind of figure this thing out, and you'll be able to think deeply about it and, and they're the ones who like to just kind of uh, just kind of impress everyone else with how much knowledge they have and as they approach arguments, they can easily write off the one who feels like they're just stupid and go with their emotions and they never think deeply about it and, and, and so they have kind of just fallen in a camp of logic, and then you have this other camp who loves to feel their way through life. They believe the Savior's kind of art, poetry, emotion, deep feeling. As they work through it, they really believe that compassion and their version of love is the way to make it through life. Deep feeling is kind of what is wrong in the world. And if people just felt deeper, everything would be there. And they kind of look at the logic side and kind of cry as they yell at them. Not everything makes sense. Right? These two hate each other. Now, with that, there's a church version of it. There's those who take God and kind of say, we're the word people. And then there's others who say, we're the, the spirit people. There's like a hum up here, bro. I don't know if we can fix that or come down and somebody help me with that. There's the word people who are easily going, what I do is God is, the word and the word is true, and what I'm gonna do is study my way to God. I'm gonna try to understand Him. And so I'm gonna break scripture apart. And I'm gonna kind of approach it scientifically, where I'm gonna understand what it is that is whats uh, what is what it is that, that God wants, and I'm gonna break everything down practically, and I'm gonna make a list of rules, and I'm my, my prayer life is gonna be that way. I'm gonna have everything kind of structured perfectly, and everything's gonna be logical in boxes and perfectly in order and we're the word people right and so the logic people have hijacked the word and they've said we're the word people and then the feeling people have hijacked the spirit and said they're the spirit people and what they've done is they've taken the spirit and used the spirit to condone all of their feelings and called it the spirit as they're feeling their way through life the spirit never does anything opposite of their feelings even if the word says don't do it they're like well the spirit did told me to do it and so what you have here is this same historic argument of the logic people the feeling people hijacking elements of the word and the spirit and kind of making it their own but let me let me just be clear with something the word and the spirit are one and you cannot have one without the other the word and the spirit is completely united And no matter how hard you try to divide them so you can have one and pit them against each other, they are perfectly united. They confirm each other, they elevate one another. Jesus, the Word made flesh, said, You need the Spirit. The Spirit says, You need Jesus. (laughs) They're not pointing to each other, they're pointing to the other. They're perfectly united, they're perfectly one. And no matter how much we try to divide them to kind of validate our camp, we can't. And truly have Jesus. It's kind of like this. I'm trying to give the best illustrations as possible. But it would be kind of like, if you're in a relationship and all you did was study that person, break them down scientifically, and you kind of know what their liver looks like. You're like, girl, I broke your liver down. I broke you apart. I kind of separated all your, your parts, and I've studied each one individually. I know more about you than you know about yourself. And you're not in a relationship with it? That's stalking, right? That's weird, right? And then you have this other who have no sense of obedience or doing what's right or even doing what's best for the other, but they're just like, I I love you so much. I love you so much. I feel so deeply. Then why why are you abusing me? Why are you doing this? If you really feel this way, why are you doing these things? And the reality is, in relationships, it seems like the real kind of logical people Just think the other one just needs to be more educated and they'd be on my level. They're breaking down relationships. The feeling people, relationships are broke down because they just feel so deeply but can never sum up enough emotion to kind of obey and serve. Uh, Paul saw that between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and then just in the midst of tension kind of dropped a bomb. And said, hey, this argument is not about me. It's about my belief about the resurrection from the dead. And then there's Pharisees in there who believe in spirits and angels and and all the kind of revelation. And then there's Sadducees who only believe in the law. And they start going at each other. And they're wanting to rip Paul apart. All over this same argument the reality of what we see in a text like this is that when tension comes something becomes very clear there has to be something much deeper there has to be a Lord who is over both our logic and our feelings. And there has to be one who can say, you can't have one without the other another without. You have to have both. I've created you with both. I've given you both. I've placed it in you and I've placed the Lord over it. And I've given you something greater than just thought and feelings. I've given you something greater. I've given you one that those things are subject to. I've placed my spirit... In you. And I've given you my word. As your example. You both have example and power. We as the people of God are not lacking either. And I want you to notice this. How do I know that Paul had example and power? Look at, look at Paul's life and then just kind of put it on pause for a moment. And remember that Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. I'm going to say this and you say amen. I'm, I'm helping you, okay? Jesus is alive. Amen. That's where the church has to say amen. Like that's the whole, like if Jesus is not alive, we're believing in vain, Right? So let me say to you, Jesus is alive. Okay, thank you. That was a little lacking, but I'll give you this. Not enough feeling in that for me. Um, Jesus is alive in church, and, and he's moving by his spirit. Acts chapter 1, he's, as Jesus is ascending to be with his father, he says to his disciples, I'm, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Spirit is going to come upon you. And when the Spirit came upon them, they went out into the streets. And the gospel is spreading to all nations. Now this is the major fight of Acts. And it's the major fight of the whole New Testament. When people think they have knowledge in the Spirit and they have kind of a a block on it, they kind of try to control it and who can be a part of it. But the spirit is breaking those boxes and it's going to all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And these people are not marked by the law, the land, and and the things that they all and their and their kind of unique race, but they're marked by the spirit. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about things that have happened to Paul. But I want to put that on pause and just kind of go back and remember a few things. How many of you remember when Luke was writing the book of Luke about the life of Jesus before he writes the book of Acts? There's going to be this kind of continuation of what is taking place, right? He finishes Luke with Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. And then after the resurrection as he's ascending and sending his church. But remember what happens to Jesus in all of the Gospels, but primarily, let's say, the book of Luke. Jesus was bound by his father's will to go to Jerusalem and die. Fast forward. Paul was bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted. When you read about what's happening to Paul, there should be like... That happened to Jesus. Jesus, on his way to die, meets with his disciples. They cry together. He begs them. They beg him not to go. He keeps telling them he's going to die. And they say, no, if anybody tries to kill you, I'm going to cut you. You remember? I mean, you remember that whole thing. Or, I'm going to cut them. I'm going to make sure this never happens to you. They're begging with them, crying, don't let this happen. They're even saying it's not going to happen. But Jesus is continuing to prepare them. Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, is stopping in churches, and they're saying, no, don't go. The Spirit's telling you not to go. And they're wrestling, and they're crying together. Paul's crying with them. What happened to Jesus is happening to Paul. Paul. His disciples and Jesus cry over this whole thing. They, they wrestle with it, but ultimately Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You remember that Paul cried the same cries with, his, with those who were with him. They wrestled with it, and at the end of it, they came to this. Not my will, but let the will of the Lord be done. Jesus is falsely accused by religious leaders, mobbed by religious leaders, beat by religious leaders, placed before kings and governments in guilt. And what are we reading today? The same thing is happening to Paul. Why is this so important? Because as you're reading this, there shouldn't be anything in us going, man, Paul is gangster." It should be the same spirit that dwells in Christ dwells in Paul. He's marked by the very spirit of Jesus. Now it's not exact behavior, but the spirit is the same. Because if you look at exactly what happened to Jesus and try to compare it to exactly what happened to Paul, you won't see exact behavior and you won't see exact experience. But what you will see is the same spirit. Look at what we just looked at, verses 1 through 10. And I'll kind of highlight these things real quickly. Because we're driving to a point and I want to get there. One is... When Jesus got beat by religious leaders, as Paul is, Paul's there and the first thing he says is he's lived a life before God in good conscience. And I want you to think of who was it that lived before God perfectly and in good conscience? Jesus. What we're seeing here is Paul before God is right, but before religious leaders is being condemned. And while he's saying, I've done all this in good conscience before God, they don't want to hear about his conscience. They literally smack him in the mouth. Now Paul reacts in anger. Notice this. I love how Paul screams out, But I want you to just see what takes place in anger. Let me say this. In right anger, Paul yells out, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed tomb. How are you going to say that the law, I'm breaking the law, and then you break the very law that says I'm breaking? He screams this out. And all of us go, yeah! Why? Because that sounds like Jesus. Jesus loved calling religious leaders whitewashed tombs, walls, looking good on the outside, dead man's bone on the inside. All's they cared about was right behaviors, right actions, right things. But inside they're dead. All's they cared about was laws and order. Nobody in our day cares about law and order, right? That's all they care about. Law and order. But inside they're dead. And the reality of this is Paul says the right thing and notice how those religious leaders respond. Do you know what you just said to the high priest? Now there is something in us when we respond In anger, we feel like if we did what Paul did right here, we would be saying we are wrong. Notice what Paul does. When they say, do you know what you just said? That's the high priest. Paul doesn't back down, but he acknowledges that he too just broke the law. He said, yeah, you know what, brothers? I didn't even know that it was the high priest. And the law says that you shouldn't speak against a high priest like that. He doesn't say, I was wrong in what I said. He does have life in his bones. Doesn't say that. But acknowledges that he breaks the law. What you see in one moment is what we think is conflicting. We see righteous anger and wisdom and humility in the same interaction. What we do is when we see injustice, we start plowing away and turn a blind eye to how many ways we've broken the law. I mean, this is the world we live in. One side screaming about all the injustices and the other side saying, see how you're talking to us? How dare you treat us this way? You say you love and then you treat us this way? You got a log in your eye. No, you got a log in your eye. No, you got a log in your eye. And here you see in Paul something different than just pointing out others' wrongs but acknowledging the ways he's broken the law. By seeing the log in his own eye, he's actually able clearly to see the speck in the other. And notice, he calls them brothers. They just popped you in the mouth. You call them brothers. Paul reacts rightly in anger, but he also reacts in humility, acknowledging how he's broken the law, discerning what the real argument is. Here's the thing that I really struggle with in the times that we live in. Everybody wants to be right, but nobody has enough discernment to point out the real issues. I'm going to say that again. You should write that down. Everybody wants to be right, but nobody has discernment to point out the real issues. And what Paul does here is says, here's the real issue. This is an argument over the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul meant it differently than the Pharisees meant it, but he's saying they're arguing over the resurrection. Jesus is alive. This has been the, the core message of Paul's message, that Jesus is alive and at work, and that he's alive and he's bringing this resurrection, and this resurrected life is coming. Now, the Pharisees mean it in a totally different way, but this reality of him pointing it out, knowing that this would cause even more arguments, shows that Paul walks in real discernment. Oh, how I pray That we would be a discerning people. Then the next section, 12 through 22, I'm going to run through this fast to get to the point. Jesus had religious leaders try to manipulate the government authorities to do their dirty work. Remember the religious leaders didn't want to kill or beat Jesus, so they tried to manipulate government authorities to do it for them. Here you see, once again, 12, they go... We're not eating until you kill Paul. That's the thing about religious people. They have high morals, and they won't do it themselves, but they're really good at manipulating others to do their dirty work. That way they don't have blood on their hands. But every time they would take them before government authorities, government authorities would go, I know you want him dead, but I don't see any guilt in him. is the same thing that happens to Paul. Paul stands before a ruler after he gets a tip from one of his friends who come and says, look, they're trying to throw you under. Oh, how good community is. Gets a tip, and he wants to go before the ruler's. And ends up spending, and we're going to look at this next week, so I don't want to go too far. Ends up spending years in prison, continuing to be brought in to be standing on trial. A lot of people, when they preach the book of Acts, spend all their time, up until Paul's missionary journey, kind of breaking down each text and applying it. And then when they come to Paul's missionary journey, they literally go through, and you can look at sermon series on Acts, they literally go through like six chapters in one like week to kind of go, let's just fly over this part. And the reason why, and you can see we're taking big sections too, the reason why is because it's hard to really find practical things. Like today's sermon is how to respond when you get popped in the mouth under false accusation, right? How to respond when you're standing before kings. How to respond when you're dealing with Sadducees and Pharisees. I mean, everyone is looking for the steps to how to live in tension rather than wanting the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us and to lead us through these times. Can I just tell you? In times like this, people who depend on logic, this time drives you nuts because nothing makes sense. And all you do is stand up there with your logic and just spout out nonsense that's disconnected from reality, thinking if you just, if everybody would be at your level, we'd all get along. Can I, let's just be clear. Nothing that's happening in the world right now makes sense. Sin is not logical. No matter how many angles you turn it to, it's all stupid. Every angle. The realities of this cause us to have to go, It's not bad to think, it's not bad to study, it's not bad to think deeply about things, but when you think, you elevate yourself to that place, that's why scripture says knowledge puff up. And then there's another group of people who are trying to feel their way through this. And they're constantly being shifted from one injustice to another. Swinging, crying, broken. I'm not saying feelings are wrong. That's not not the point here. But untethered feelings leave you toppling through life like nothing to be anchored in. Church, we have been given Jesus and his spirit. And trying to separate them is like trying to separate someone's breath from their body. One without the other does not exist. And what we have in this time is not perfect behavior We follow the laws perfectly. Everything's really clean. We know practically how we should live from day to day in the midst of these times. If anything is true, we should be the first to admit I don't know what to do, I don't know how to feel, but I have the spirit, I have something deeper and Jesus is still alive, and whenever we try to boil down Christianity to having the same rules, we lose what is most important. What makes us Christians is we have the same spirit. It's his spirit that makes us one. We are not marked by clear behaviors, are we? I mean, we can break this down for a long time. Should I do this or should I not do this? We're not marked by clear behaviors. Yes, there is places in Scripture where it says, run from this, don't do this, don't do this. There's clear commands. But then there's a lot of things that are just saying, don't be greedy. What does that mean? How much money can I have? Don't be greedy? Well, how do you know what greed is? Don't be jealous. Envious. What does that mean? Don't be envious. Well, what does that look like? Break that down for me in six steps. Uh, I'd have to like go deeper. Much of discipleship is discipling the heart. That's why it's a struggle for me when people come and want me to tell them what to do when what I'm really concerned about is I don't see Jesus' spirit in you. I don't see discernment. I don't see wisdom. I see you being led by your own spirit, by your own thoughts. I see you doing things that are more comfortable for you and taking advantage of other people. I see you walking in a way where you're proud and arrogant about how much you know. I see all these things, and I don't know what you should do, but I do know this. Your spirit is wicked. How do you discern that, Pastor? I don't know. I just am concerned. I can't judge your salvation, but I can say this, something's off. I don't know what you should do. I can't even judge my own salvation, but I can tell you this, it's the spirit in me that even empowers me to cry out, Abba, Father. And the reality is, the way that we're going to be able to walk in unity as his people is if we start to learn what it means to be of the same spirit. Because not everything that calls itself of Christ is the same spirit. We need discernment, we need help. But here's a few things we can think about. First, is this whenever you see the spirit moving, it's always at war with the flesh. Scripture says the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. That means there's nothing in the two that are crossing over. So the flesh is at war with the spirit. We got to admit one thing our flesh is always seeking comfort. Where the Spirit, our comforter, He is our comforter, which means we can be in the midst of confrontation, tension, struggle, being beaten, persecuted, and there's a comfort that's deeper than comfort. Because when the Spirit comes into a room like this, what we want Him to do is do the same thing for everybody in the room. But I can tell you this. Let's say the Spirit falls in this room. Some of y'all will be crying in conviction of sin and some of y'all will be being encouraged to keep going. It has a lot to do with your heart. And the Spirit knows you. And He knows your heart. And He discerns the deeper things and he's going to move in that way so when we when we are just after comfort often we're going to miss the spirit because sometimes the spirit confronts two the flesh believes that love is an emotion or friendly or nice it leaves no room for anger i hear a lot of people repenting of anger all the time i got mad you should get mad. That was sinful and wicked and wrong. And if you don't get mad, it means you don't love. Well, what do you mean? Be angry, but don't sin in your anger. What does that mean? You can be angry and still be led by the Spirit. The flesh, the flesh believes that love is an emotion, meaning connection and friendly, and but the Spirit who is love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. God is love. You will not know love apart from God, 1 John. And you won't have love apart from the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So what is love? Love is modeled in Christ, dying to self and even Loving enemies. Paul, in anger, whitewashed tombs. In humility, brothers, I didn't know. I broke the law too. Anger, humility, love. The flesh will look at a text like this and tell you Paul didn't succeed. Why didn't he succeed? Because everybody's still angry. Everybody wants to kill him. Everybody's still mad. There's still turmoil. There's still tension. There's still problems because the flesh always looks at outcomes and says that was successful. It's growing. It's healthy. There's this. There's that. It always looks at outcomes, but the Spirit will always lead us to obedience and submission and then say, you succeeded. Success is not marked by outcomes. It's marked by obedience. You won't stand before God on judgment day and go, look at all that I did in your name. I cast out demons. I had so much success. Ah, I didn't know you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You obeyed. The fruit of the Spirit's obedience. The question is not, how did people respond? The question is, did you obey? The flesh tries to end suffering in the fastest way possible. The Spirit produces patience. The flesh only wants God to come in and swoop you out and take you out of suffering. It always wants you to t- So here's what I mean. You've done everything you can do in logic and feeling and trying and striving and working. You've done everything you do, and you're like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what to feel. Everything's falling apart. God, come rescue me. God goes, uh, More often than not in Scripture, the way you see God rescue His people is not just by taking them out, it's by entering in and leading them out. He comes into the pain, into the suffering, into the brokenness, and leads them out. Verse 11, let's look there together. We'll end with this. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, oh, man, we could just pause there. He didn't take him out of being beaten. He didn't take him out of prison. He didn't take him. He came into it with him and stood right next to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the midst of the fire, and everybody's thinking they're going to get burnt, and instead of taking them out of the fire, there's a fourth person in there. You want to see how God moves? He comes into it. He stands right next to Paul and encourages him by saying this. Take courage. You've testified in Rome. What does that mean? You've obeyed me. Uh, but, uh, or you've testified in Jerusalem. You've obeyed me. So now, you're going to go to Rome. Remember, Paul thought Jerusalem was the end. He was convinced he was going to die in Jerusalem. So was everybody else. And he's going, man. Well, I'm going to die here. I'm going to give it the best swing palm. I'm going to, you know, I'm here. I'm going to make. I'm. And Jesus comes. And he goes, look, take courage. You've done a good job here. And now I'm sending you to Rome. Years later, it's not right away. But I'm going to tell you this. The way Jesus is going to encourage you in the midst of tension and brokenness is by entering into. His spirit is with you. The beauty of the gospel is this. God is with us. It's all about not God taking us out but God coming in. God sends his son Jesus enters into pain and brokenness. God sends his spirit. God's coming again and making all things new. He's coming back and making it new. I know we want to get out of here but he's going to he's still on mission. He's going to make this world new. It's all about him entering and what we want is out and he's going I mean, here, here's, here's the power of what God's called us into. You've been called to be salt and light. Here's what it means. You are in a broken, unjust, divided, painful, wicked, nothing makes sense world. And what he's going to do is take his people filled with his spirit and he's going to put them in it as salt and light, as leaven. Everything in us wants to go, that's them and this is us, let's stay away. It's the the plight of Israel, right? We're the chosen people, we're the special people, and what they thought was special was separating them. And what Jesus was saying, is what God was saying, is why you are special is because in the world you have my spirit. I'm dwelling amongst you in the tabernacle. You have that fire by day. You have that cloud. You have that cloud by day. That fire by night. You have my presence. What made them special was not the law of the land and their race. What made them special was His presence with them. What makes us special? What makes us His people is His presence with them. Now, I'm I'm done. I promise. Okay, here we go. Hear this. Hear this today. For many of us who like feeling and logic and trying to put God in a box and in a camp, being led by the Spirit makes it hard for us. Because we're like, Pastor, I'm leaving here more confused today than when I walked into the room. Uh, not a great practical help. I don't have six steps. Nothing's broken down. I don't feel anything. I'm more confused than ever. Matter of fact, I feel confused. Welcome to the life of the Spirit. tension here's here's what you see Paul and the early church walking in as they walk through the spirit here's a couple things one is they don't separate the word and the spirit they always believe they agree so please don't fall into that trap of going I'm a word person I'm a spirit person if you're either one of those you're in some sort of weird cultish thing right They agree. They are one. They're together. That means if you don't like studying and knowing God through his word, discipline your heart and mind to go and study and learn and grow. The Spirit. If you don't understand it, it's hard to understand. Ask for help. Ask for the Spirit. Don't let them be separate things. Don't let... People who are just weird and led by emotions hijack the spirit, and don't just let smart uh, Windows people hijack. Uh, I'm Just kidding, that was a joke. I promise. Don't let it, don't let it. Second, second is this: the Spirit's given you a community of Spirit people, of Word people. Every time you see Paul wrestling with something. He's listening to the people around him who are seeking the Spirit. Remember, they they were praying together. In this text, there's another one who comes in and gives them heads up, and they're working together. They're conversating. They're praying together. Spirit in his word, his people. Third is this. Ask the question, do I think the Spirit's leading me to just take care of myself, or do you think the Spirit's breaking you open in love to be poured out for others because that's modeled in Jesus and that's modeled in the Spirit. Every time the Spirit falls, He's breaking you open for mission, for others. And if you're constantly making personal decisions and calling it the Spirit that are just personal, that's not the taste, the flavor, the essence of the Spirit. The Spirit breaks us out of selfish indulgence. It's modeled in Christ. It's empowered by the Spirit. Broken outwards. Fourth is this. If you've ran it through all of those three things and you still don't know what to do, do something and say, let the will of the Lord be done. Because ultimately, ultimately, We're all still subject to God accomplishing his purpose and will, no matter what we do. Jesus got there. Paul, the early church, they get there. Let the will of the Lord be done. i tell you, there's so many times that I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've prayed. I've sought counsel. I've asked heart questions. And at the bottom of the barrel, I still could do either. I'm going to do this and let the will of the Lord be done. Church, the beauty of having his spirit is a great rest that not everything hinges on you. Not everything hinges on you. So what if you lash out in anger and React in humility and go. oh what it did. I do the right thing, did I do probably not? I don't know, but do you have the spirit? And is God still in control? The spirit gives you great rest that no matter what, he's going to do his work. Church, I, I would, if anything, I would love for people to, to look in this community and go, I see love, I see the spirit. I see a people who are trying to obey and to serve, who are dying to self. Do they do everything right? No. Do they say everything right? No. But man, love is there. The Spirit is there. Christ is at work. Peoples are being united. United. Jesus is being glorified. When they look and they see our love, they know we're his disciples. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.